Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we come before you right now as we've dedicated this time of our week, Lord, of our night to listen to what you would have to say to us, Lord. And as we open up your word, we know we're challenged, we're pressed, Lord, to understand that you want to speak to us tonight. That whatever we're going through, whatever area of life we're in, whatever difficulty we're experiencing, Lord, you desire to be with us, God. You desire to speak to us. You desire to truly take us through the valleys of life and give us light at the end of the tunnel. So Lord, I pray that right now you will open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word. That as we look at this profound passage, God, you will speak to us in such an intimate and personal way, Lord, that we'll be challenged to view our circumstances in life differently. In your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23 tonight, I've entitled the message, In the Valley. Has anyone in here ever had a really bad day? I'm not talking about like you, you know, you, you had to get gas and it cost more than you were expecting, but I'm talking about a really bad day where things just did not line up, where every little thing that happened just seemed to be the worst thing possible. And it just lined up to become like the worst day you've ever had in your entire life. Anyone had one of those days before and you're just like, man, this is just not cool. Well, I read a story about a guy who had a day kind of like that. I read online, and it said, A man was working on his motorcycle, on his patio, and his wife was in the kitchen. The man was racing the engine on the motorcycle when it accidentally slipped into gear. The man, still holding onto the handlebars, was dragged through the glass patio doors and along with the motorcycle, dumped on the floor inside of the house. The wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room and found her husband lying on the floor, cut and bleeding the motorcycle lying next to him, and the shattered patio door everywhere around. Now, that alone would be a pretty bad day, but it goes on. The wife ran to the phone and summoned the ambulance. Because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down the several flights of stairs to the street to escort the paramedics to her husband. After the ambulance arrived and transported the man to the hospital, the wife uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it outside. Seeing that the, gla- that the gas was spilled all over the floor from the motorcycle, the wife got some paper towels, blotted up the gasoline, and threw the towels in the toilet. The man was treated and released to come home. Upon a wi- arriving home, he looked at the shattered patio door and the damage done to his motorcycle, and he became so despondent and depressed that he went to the bathroom, sat down on the toilet, and smoked a cigarette. You guessed it. After finishing the cigarette, he flipped it in between his legs into the toilet, well seated. The wife, who was in the kitchen, heard the loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom and found her husband lying on the floor. His trousers had been blown away and he was suffering burns on the buttocks, the side, and the back of his legs. The wife again ran to the phone to call the ambulance. The very same paramedic crew was dispatched, and the wife met them on the street. The paramedics loaded the husband into the stretcher and began carrying him down the street. While they were going down the stairs to the street accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband had burned himself. 
She told them and the paramedics started laughing so hard that one of them slipped, tipped the stretcher, dumping the husband out, and he fell down the remaining stairs, breaking his arm. Now that's a bad day. Anytime you have a bad day now, just remember that story and say, man, at least I'm not like blowing myself up in the toilet. You know, that's the worst situation possible. You know, truthfully though, we all have bad days. We all have spiritual valleys in our lives. Times that we go through that don't make sense. Things that happen that seem unfair. Situations that come into our lives where we're left asking God, why? Why would you do this, Lord? Why would you let this happen to me at this moment in my life? A time where unexpected circumstances crash down on you. Or perhaps a time where it seems like God has abandoned you. It might be a tremendous hardship that you're dealing with. Maybe family problems, maybe physical problems, even times of intense temptation and trial. Have you ever wondered when you're going through a difficulty, if it's ever going to end, if the trial's ever going to stop, if the valley's ever going to come to a place of comfort and peace? And then finally, when it ends, it seems like just another valley is there waiting for you. And it seems like you never get to a place where you're truly content. I read a story about a traveler who was in a logging area who watched with curiosity as a lumberjack would occasionally take his big sharp hook and stick it into specific logs, pulling them and separating them from the others. And when asked why he did this, the logger replied, these might all look alike to you, but I can recognize that a few of them are quite different. The ones that I let pass are from trees that grew in a valley where they were always protected from the storms. Their grain is coarse. The ones that I have hooked and kept apart, however, came from high on the mountains. From the time they were small, they were beaten by strong winds. And this toughened the trees and gives them a fine grain. They are too good to be used for ordinary lumber. They save them for the choice work. And so many of us hate the valleys of life, don't we? We hate the difficulties. We hate the storms. We hate the hard times. And we say, why why are you doing this, God? I don't understand how a loving God could let such bad things happen to me. And all the while, the Lord's saying, you don't even know. I'm saving you for a choice work. I have a special plan for you. And although these difficulties, these valleys right now seem so unbearable, wait till you get to the end. Wait till you see the plan that I have. Let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, this psalm was written by David and David himself was no stranger to calamity and hardship. You know, this guy had such a crummy life at times that he could have been a country music star. You know, he just had some depressing things happen. He had a really depressing life. And, you know, he had a lot of highs, but he had a lot of lows. 
As a matter of fact, for years he was hunted like a wild animal. And it was during this time that he penned this psalm. You know, you've heard of guys who have book smarts, and then you've heard of guys who have street smarts. David had street smarts. You know, this guy experienced it all. He had what we would call street cred from being through some pretty crazy situations. He came from the school of hard knocks, you could say. And it's from this place that he penned these words of encouragement. These words that have brought comfort to countless people throughout the world. And what David was doing in this psalm was he was reflecting on the fact that people are so much like sheep. In fact, he was even pointing out the fact that he himself was like a sheep. He himself related to a sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but a sheep is something pretty weird to relate yourself to. A lamb is a weird animal to relate yourself to. And there's a few interesting traits about sheep. One, they're completely defenseless. You know, you don't think of a sheep as a tough, vicious animal, do you? You know, no one thinks, man, when they're thinking about their personality animal, you've seen those weird tests. What animal are you? Everyone wants to be a lion or a tiger. No one wants to be a sheep. You know, when someone goes into a tattoo parlor, they don't say, hey, you know what? I want a big lamb going from up here down my arm and I want his hooves stretching out and I want his mouth open like that. It's going to be really tough. And then I want a barbed wire collar around his neck. Really, really tough. You know, people don't name really tough cars after sheep. You know, you have Mustang, Ram. No one says the lamb. This is the new lamb, the Toyota lamb. That would probably be a hybrid car if it was a car that they made. But, you know, people don't think of sheep as tough animals. They're completely defenseless. They require more care and attention, as a matter of fact, than any other kind of livestock. Also, sheep have what we would call a mob mentality, and that they do what everyone else does. You know, to be honest, sheep are incredibly stupid creatures. So we look at this, we don't say, man, I really want to be a sheep. As a matter of fact, I read about this mob mentality of sheep, an article entitled, 450 Sheep Jump to Their Death. And the article read this, First one sheep jumped to its death. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off of the same cliff. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. The only thing that saved those who jumped later on was the fact that the pile got higher and higher and more and more cushioned. Seriously, imagine this for a second. You have Turkish shepherds drinking their Turkish coffee, eating their Turkish delight on their Turkish rugs, watching their sheep play and prance around and eat weeds and do all the stupid things that sheep do. And then one of the sheep says, hey, what's over there? And he jumps off the cliff. And then all the other sheep say, well, where'd he go? He looks like he's having fun. I want to do that. And 1,500 sheep jump off this cliff. Just imagine the the situation. I would have loved to see that. If that was on HBO, I would pay money to watch that. That would be a pay-per-view that I would order. But seriously, think of this. Think of how many people have had their lives ruined because they try to fit in. Because they want to be cool or acceptable. Because they want to do and they want to fit in with the people that they in their mind think are cool. Think about how many lives have been ruined by this mob mentality. See, it's easy for us to look at the sheep and say, stupid sheep. But man, how often have we done the same thing? 
How often have we taken that same path? Now a few words about the good shepherd. A good shepherd is always looking out for the benefit of the sheep. It's his pleasure to lead them to the green pastures, to lead them to the cool waters to drink. He takes pride, he takes joy in blessing his sheep. You know, you don't see a shepherd leading his sheep into the den of wolves and then laughing maniacally running away to watch the action. You know, shepherds don't do that. Shepherds lead their sheep to cool waters, lead their sheep to green pastures. It's their joy to see their sheep blessed. And yet, in spite of a shepherd's tender care, in spite of a shepherd's good intentions for the sheep, the sheep have another trait, another trait that is so like us, and that is that they tend to go astray. Just as the word says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And this is where we pick up Psalm 23. And this is what I want to focus in on tonight. Look at verse 3 with me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We see in verse 3, it says, he restores my soul. You know, it would seem that anyone who's under the care of the good shepherd would never go astray would never need restoration. Because, after all, in the care of the good shepherd, there'd be no need to have anything else. Your needs would be met. You'd be by the cool waters. You'd be by the green pastures. So there would never be a need to go away, to go astray, to need restoration. But sadly, this isn't the case, is it? Did I mention that sheep are incredibly stupid? I think I did. Sheep are incredibly stupid. And how often do we as human beings give in to the foolish and the illogical patterns of sin. You know, we always see the same thing happen. We're never surprised by the outcome of sin, or maybe we are surprised, but then we do it again. We go into the same things. You know, I think of the things in my life that I've struggled with, and it's always the same reaction. When you take that step, when you sin, and you take that fall, you're always left saying, why did I do that? I knew it was going to happen. Why did I do that? It's like the sheep jumping off the cliff. You hit the bottom and you say, well, that wasn't a good idea. And then we do it again a week later. You know, Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You know, I counsel a lot of people that come into my office and when I come in, they start telling me their story and it's always a pattern of them doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And they say, well, you know, eventually it's going to satisfy. Eventually it's going to quench my thirst. Eventually it's going to give me something that I need. And it never does. And yet we do it over and over again. In fact, David himself knew all about the need for restoration. Consider the chain of events that unfolded in his life as a result of sin. You know, when you, when you read the life of David, it often looks like an episode of Jerry Springer, The Real World, Dr. Phil, and CSI combined. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, he has sex with a, another man's wife. He then kills that other man's wife. At a different point, his best friend's dad chases him down to try to kill him. Another point, his son wants to kill him and take his throne, and his general, David's most trusted general, kills his son and leaves David crying and weeping. All throughout the Bible, we look at this guy's David's life and we're like, man, he was messed up. You know, this is a really messed up dude. And yet God 
uses this man. He restores this man. Think about it for a second. When you think of David, two other names come to mind. David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. Two names. One representing his greatest victory. His greatest triumph of faith. The other, his greatest downfall. His greatest defeat. His greatest moment of sin. See, David wasn't a perfect guy. He needed restoration. And as we consider how a sheep gets itself into trouble, it will help us better understand our own vulnerabilities, our own weaknesses. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 11, David cries out and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. It says, why are you cast down? Now this phrase, cast down, is an old English shepherd's term for a sheep. And what this term would signify is when a sheep had turned itself over on its back and it could not get up again by itself. And in this position, it would be completely vulnerable. And it would be flaying away with its legs in the air, making little sheep noises. And it would be a perfect target for a predator. You know, it's like, shish kebabs there for like a wolf or or a coyote coming up it's the sheep is just sitting there flaying its legs and it's like awesome lunchtime and it's interesting that it's often the best fed sheep that were most vulnerable to this problem those that were in politically correct terminology horizontally challenged sheep were the ones that were you know prey to this situation or as we would say they were fat the fat sheep were the ones that were prey to this situation of getting stuck In Philip Keller's book on Psalm 23, we get a really good visual of it. And he says, the way it happens is this. A heavy, fat sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow in the ground. And it may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or to relax. When suddenly the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. The sheep feels a sense of panic and starts to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes the matters worse. Now, it can't get back on its feet. Without the shepherd's immediate help, the sheep is doomed. You know, the process for restoring a cast-down sheep is interesting as well. First, the shepherd must find the sheep, which can be a daunting task. One little furry creature in the entire wilderness. And the shepherd must find this sheep. And often the shepherd will look for the presence of buzzards circling overhead. You know, sometimes I feel bad for my wife. I feel like I'm a sheep that I go astray a lot. When we're in stores, my wife has to find me. And instead of buzzards, you know what she looks for? Technology. She'll, okay, wait, okay, there's large glowing LED screens over there. He must be that way. You know, my wife will search me out that way and restore me in that sense. But the shepherd will drop what he's doing. He will search for the sheep until he finds it. And when finding the sheep, the shepherd will tenderly roll the sheep over onto its side. And then straddling the sheep with his legs, he holds it upright and he tenderly rubs its limbs to get the circulation back into its legs. You know what this reminds me of? Lamaze classes. That's what this reminds me of. It's like, okay, just breathe. Just, I mean, what's he, what's he whispering to the sheep? All the while, the shepherd is gently comforting and whispering to the sheep. I would love to hear, what's he saying? Okay, goose fraba, goose fraba. Venga, venga, venga. And pushing the sheep to go. Push, push, push. And during this entire process, finally, the sheep is restored. 
The sheep is lifted up and he can then move on with his life. You know, once again, I find myself relating to sheep a lot. We also, like sheep, find ourselves needing restoration because we also can be cast down. We can be put into a place where we're flaying with our hands and our feet up in the air, crying out, not knowing what's going to happen, not understanding where we are. And it's often when we least expect it. Maybe it's like David. After a great moment of faith in your life comes a great moment of sin that brings you down. Maybe it's after a great blessing or after a great spiritual victory in our lives where we're feeling spiritually fat and sassy. You know, we're feeling on top of the world. We've conquered. We've done something really good. And then Satan sees that moment to come in and strike, to bring us down. You know, take a moment and think in your life. Think about the conquests, the spiritual victories you're having. Remember those and hold on to them. Don't let them pass by and think that you've reached a plateau, but continue pushing on towards bigger, towards better, to see what else God can do in your life. Because see, it's when we lower our guards. It's when we take it easy. It's when we kick back, when we get lazy, that Satan strikes. And this is illustrated in the life of David, the author of this psalm. Remember, his notorious fall began when he, as a king, didn't do what he was supposed to. We read in 2 Samuel 11.1, In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Think about how much different this story would have been if David would have been out at war. If David would have been leading his armies to conquer the Ammonites. And yet, he stayed home. He was content. He had amassed a great amount of wealth. He had brought Israel into a new time of conquering other nations, into a new time of prosperity, both physically and spiritually. And he decided, hey, you know what? I can take this one off. I can sit back and let other people do the work. See, it's when we do that in our lives that Satan wants to strike. When David wasn't doing what he should do was when Satan got him to do what he shouldn't do. When David wasn't doing what he should do, Satan got him to do what he shouldn't do. And I want to let you know tonight, if we are not constantly making a conscious effort to do that which God has called us to do, then we will naturally, naturally begin to do what Satan wants us to do. See, the Christian life is a daily walk. It doesn't get to a point where you say, man, I've reached it. I've conquered. I've finally completed the perfect Christian walk. It's a daily movement forward, recognizing how we need to grow. Have you ever watched a pigeon walk? It's pretty funny, isn't it? You know, they kind of do this. They walk and they look up and they look down and you're kind of saying, what are you guys doing? You know, it looks like they're eating like the whole time. Well, I actually found out the reason why they do that. Pigeons have such a small brain. They're so stupid that they literally have to look at their feet every time they take a step. They have to look at their direction, look at their feet, 
look at their direction, look at their feet. So they can make sure they're going the right way. Because if they just look straight, they'll start like going in circles or something. I don't know. But pigeons literally have to focus on every single step. You know, Christians are the same way. We have to focus on every single step. We have to look at where we're going, the goal of heaven, of a life serving Jesus Christ, and then every step say, okay, one step forward, Jesus Christ, one step forward, Jesus Christ, and move forward. Because if we don't, it's so easy for the things of the world to come in and distract us. You know, that's how sheep go astray. If a sheep is taken to a green pasture, he'll be there content, he'll eat his food, but if he looks up and he sees, oh wait, there's, there's greener stuff over there. He'll start walking over there and try to get over to another area. As opposed to just looking at what he has to do. Looking at his goal. See, we need to focus on what God has called us to do. And if we do that, if we make a conscious effort every single day to do what God has called us to do, then we'll have productive, meaningful Christian lives. We read, once again in Psalm 23, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So once again, he restores our soul. Now, what is God's attitude towards us when he has to restore us? What is his mentality towards us when we go astray, when we mess up? Is he out to get us? Does he get mad? You guys have all heard that old poem, if you love someone, set them free. And if they come back to you, they're yours. See, God doesn't read that poem and say, if you love someone, set them free, and if they don't return to you, hunt them down and kill them. That is not God's response to us. When we go astray, when we mess up, he doesn't plan ways to capture us. Oh man, when they come back to me, they're in for it. They are going to get it. You know, when I was a kid, I thought this way about my parents. When I would do something and I was really stupid and I would make a mistake, I would always think, oh man, when I get back to my parents, when, I, when, I, when they find out what I did, it's going to be over. I'm going to be crushed. They're going to destroy me. And I would have these horrible visions in my mind of torture chambers and, and cranks and whips and all these things of what I pictured my parents would do. It never happened. Every time I came back, it was, we're disappointed in you. We're going to discipline you, but we still love you. And that's God's reaction too. When we mess up, when we go astray, he seeks to find us. The shepherd looks for the lost sheep. He searches for them and he finds them. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. Or as the father in the prodigal son story, God misses us and he yearns for our return. See, he doesn't want to destroy us. He doesn't want to make our lives miserable. He wants to give us a structure in which we can best live our lives to please him and live anointed lives. You know, this is all fine and good. See, we love it when our good shepherd leads us to green pastures, when he takes us to the still waters. We can rejoice when we're cast down and he seeks us out and restores us. See, these are the passages we love as Christians. Oh yeah, I love it when God restores me. I love it when the green pastures are there, when the still waters are there. We love the places that he leads us and guides us to, except one. See, we all love the yellow brick road until the flying monkeys come up and grab us and take us away. No one likes the flying monkeys. No one looks for the flying monkeys with anticipation and joy. No one likes the lions and tigers and bears, oh my. We don't mind the munchkins and the lollipops. See, all Christians love these verses, but when it comes to the valleys of life, that's where we shy away. 
verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death. You know, this is the part of the movie where you hear the dun, dun, dun. And you look for the villain. This is the part of the Christian life that we shy away from. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this passage has a twofold message in it. One, it speaks that every child of God with every day gets one step closer to death, each and every day. But it also speaks to us of when we go through the valleys of life. Not just death, but literally when we go through life, when it gets so hard that we feel like we're going to die. And I want to first approach it as it applies to the hardships of life. Once again, remember, we all find ourselves in these valleys at one time or another. It might be a tremendous hardship that you're dealing with. And when I say that right now, there's probably something that comes into your mind. That when I say hardship, you immediately think of, yeah, I'm going through that. I know. I know what it's like. I know what what it feels like to wake up each morning and just want to be asleep. Or to just sleep through the day and forget about everything else that's going on. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're having tremendous financial problems and you don't see any way out of it. You don't see any way that you could restore your finances and provide for your family. Maybe you're going through marital problems. And you feel like there's no way this relationship could be restored. You want so bad to fix it, but you feel there's no way that God could ever mend that relationship. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe you just got some bad news from a doctor. And it's left you in a place where you have no idea how you're going to get through it. You have no idea how God could possibly be glorified through this hardship in your life. As I've said, it could be family problems, physical problems, or maybe it's even intense temptation that you're going through. And you've fallen into a sin and you feel there's no way you could ever get pulled out of this. There's no way you could ever be forgiven for this. Whatever it is that you're facing, remember this. You are not alone. See, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this rod and the staff, it's speaking of two different things. The shepherd, when he would lead his sheep, would carry two different instruments, a rod and a staff. And the staff would be used to gently guide the sheep, to gently move the sheep and help the sheep. And now, however, the rod would be used to fend off predators, to hit predators, to beat predators, and at times even do things to the sheep, hurt the sheep. Now, that wouldn't mean that the shepherd would come up along the sheep and just smack it in the head for fun and laugh at it. But it means that if the sheep were to get itself into trouble, if it were to get itself stuck, if it were to run off, oftentimes the shepherd would take his rod and he would use it to break the sheep's legs. And we say, how cruel, how insensitive. The poor little sheep with his broken legs. No doctor to fix it, no rods to go in there like my leg. You know, and we think, how, what, what, a, what a poor sheep. But the shepherd would do this so that that sheep could no longer go astray. So that sheep could no longer get himself into the mischief that that sheep would like to get himself into. All the while protecting the sheep. See, we need not fear in the valleys of life, whether it be a tremendous trial we're going through, a tremendous situation where we feel like there's no way God could save us from it. God is there with us, with his staff, comforting us, leading us, there with us. 
Maybe it's a temptation that you've fallen into, a sin that you've fallen into in your life where you don't feel like you could ever get out of it. That's where God is there with his rod. And yeah, it might hurt. Yeah, it might be difficult. But when you come through it, God will bring you to a greater place in your walk with God. So what is this great hope? What is this great promise for every believer going through the valleys of life? Once again, thou art with me. You know, I'll be the first one to acknowledge. Maybe we can't always feel God's presence. I'll admit there's been times where I've gone through trials and I couldn't feel God's presence. And it felt very lonely. It felt very desolate. There's times when we don't feel God's presence, but that doesn't mean that he's not there. It doesn't mean he's not there. If you go out tomorrow afternoon and it's rainy and it's cloudy and you look up and you don't see the sun and you say, I can't see the sun, so therefore it no longer exists. I can't see it with my eyes, so therefore it's gone. Okay, if you think that, go to the beach and spend nine hours on the beach without your shirt on and see what happens. You're going to get sunburned. See, the sun's still there even if we don't see it. Sometimes it'll even burn worse. Or try it with gravity. If you go outside and you stand on a building and you say, I can't see gravity, so therefore it's not there. What's going to happen when you jump off that roof? Splat. That's what's going to happen. See, just because you can't see it, just because you can't feel its presence, doesn't mean that it's not there. See, God is there. Not because I feel him, but because he promised to be. Because he promised to be. And I think it's easy for us to forget this sometimes. Yeah, we feel God's presence when things are great. Yeah, we know he's there when things are awesome. We rejoice and we sing David Crowder songs in our car. And we're so happy to sing praise songs to the Lord. And when someone comes up and gives us a call to worship, we say, yes, praise the Lord. I'm so ready to worship. But when we're going through a valley, when we're going through pain, we can kind of sit there and say, I don't want to worship. what, what, What do I have to praise God for? What do I have to give thanks for? We don't feel God is there, but he is because he promised to be. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. See, this is the promise that we as believers have. That if we are with God, does it say that we're not going to go through the fires? No. You'll go through the fires, but you won't be set ablaze. You will walk through the rivers, but they won't sweep over you. See, it's not a promise of no temptation. It's not a promise of no trials. It's simply a promise that God will be there with you and he will help you to withstand it. Certainly Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found the truth of this great promise that God would be with them. See, they couldn't expect to be Christians and have nothing bad ever happen to them. You know, they lived tough lives. They had to stand up for their faith and yet God was with them. You know, there's this belief in the church today that if we become a Christian, that we can have constant victory over everything. And some preachers will say that if you're a Christian and you're having financial problems, God must not be with you because you have to claim victory over it. If you're a Christian and you're having health problems, then you not, must not be serving God because you have victory over those health problems. That's not a biblical principle. Look at guys like Paul in the Bible. They had tremendous hardships. 
that had tremendous physical difficulties. Paul talks about it, the thorn in his flesh that God gave him. He never took it away, and yet God was with him. God gave him peace. God gave him comfort. He went to prison. He went through pain, and yet God was with him. Even Jesus, God himself, went through pain, went through hardships. You know, if we go by this principle, that if we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, well, look at Jesus Christ. He wasn't wealthy by any means. He was homeless. He traveled. He didn't have money to buy food. As a matter of fact, he had to make the food. He definitely didn't have the best health issues. Look at what happened to him on the cross. You know, so we need to understand that bad times happen, bad things come, but yet Christ is with us. Hebrews thirteen six says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will not fear because the Lord is with me. And it's in these moments of pain, in these moments of trials and temptation that we must call upon Jesus in these moments of distress, cast our problems upon him through these distressful times, through these difficult times. Now, does that mean that when we call upon the Lord in our difficulty, it's going to be like an immediate genie wish? Boom! There go the problems. No, not at all. Look at Job. Job had everything taken away from him, and he called on the name of the Lord. He, he cried out to the Lord, and did God say, okay, Good job, Job. You called on my name. Boom. It's all gone. Here's all your stuff back. No. God took him through this trial, took him through these temptations. He was with him the whole time, and yet he still had to go through the trials and the temptation. See, God will take us through these trials, through these temptations, to bring forth a prophet, to bring forth something in our lives that we didn't have before. And he wants us in these times to call out on his name. When Mary and Martha saw their beloved brother Lazarus was sick, they, w- they sent word to the Lord and they said, He whom you love is sick. Scripture says that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. When the people griped and complained about Moses' leadership, the Bible says in Exodus fifteen twenty five that he cried unto the Lord. When Hezekiah received a threatening letter from the king who threatened his life, his response was, the Bible tells us, that he spread it before the Lord. When John the Baptist was beheaded, his disciples came to Jesus, and the Bible says that they went and told Jesus. See, it's a resounding theme in Scripture. When bad things happen, when difficulties come, because they will, they will. It's a promise, it's a guarantee. See, that's what the Bible teaches. Not that everything good will happen, but that bad things will happen. It's a direct promise. Bad things are going to happen. And when they do, call on the name of the Lord. See, you don't serve a God who's disinterested in your life, who doesn't care, who sits up in heaven with his arms crossed and just kind of smirks and laughs at our trials. (laughs) Stupid humans. (laughs) They just need to trust in me. That's not what God does. He doesn't sit up there with a smug look on his face, condescending, looking down on us. He's compassionate. He's caring. And most importantly, he is concerned and wanting to help. Once again, the scripture says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. 
You know, most of us would like to avoid the valleys of life, right? If I could take a poll right now and say, if you could never have another valley or temptation in your life, would you take it? I'm sure all of you would raise your hands. Yes, please, me, pick me. Never again. That'd be fantastic. You know, most of us would prefer the mountaintop experiences. We want the lush green pastures. In fact, most of us would prefer it if the Lord would simply airlift us from mountaintop to mountaintop. Boom, boom. Oh, yeah, this is great, Lord. This is fantastic. And you know, some people have that. And it can be difficult. Well, well, Lord, why are you blessing them and cursing me? Well, why are you doing that in their lives and doing this in my life? Well, we don't know what's going on in every person's life. You might look at someone who you say has a perfect life and deep down inside they're going through something you have no idea. They might be going through family issues. They might have some issue, some temptation that you don't even know about. See, we would love to spend all of our times on the mountaintop and never go through the valley. I heard an interesting thing that if you were to take a helicopter to the top of Mount Everest, which you can't, helicopters can't even go up there, but if you could and they were to take you out of the helicopter and just put you on Mount Everest, you would die. You would die very quickly because your body couldn't acclimate so quickly to the thinness of the air. You wouldn't be able to get oxygen and you would ultimately die. Now, I'm sure a lot of people would say, man, I'd love to go to Mount Everest, but I don't want to do the climb. I don't want to do the walk, the long walk upwards, the valley. It's so difficult. It's so grueling. But that walk, that trek is needed so that you can spend your time on the mountaintop. You know, it's the same in the Christian life. We can never get to the mountaintops. We can never get to the blessings, to the incredible times with the Lord without first going through the valleys. And when we go through those valleys, there are lessons that can only be learned there. For one, God will reveal himself to us in a unique and special way in those valleys. He will reveal himself to us in a unique and special way. Paul describes the fact that he had a heavenly experience when he went through a valley. We read in 2 Corinthians 12.2, To keep me from becoming conceited, Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And it continues, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at what Paul delights in. Does he delight in getting new cars? Does he delight in getting promotions? Does he delight in getting all the stuff he's always wanted? No, look at his list of what he delights in. Weaknesses, insults hardships, persecutions, difficulties. We don't look at that list and say, yes, Lord, that's what I want in my life. And yet, that is what Paul is saying he delights in because when he is weak, Christ is strong. I think we need to ask the Lord for that kind of an attitude. To understand that hardships, that difficulties, that trials will come And understand that when they do come, Christ wants to do something in our lives magnificent, awesome, breathtaking by taking us through those trials. 
And we see here that in the valleys of life, the power and the presence of Jesus Christ is with us in a very special way. You know, I will say this. There have been times when I've gone through difficulties where I said that I didn't feel the presence of God, but there have been other times in difficulties where I've had the most intense communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ than I've ever had in any other time. And I look back on those hardships, I look back on those trials, and I think about the incredible relationship that I had with Jesus Christ as he brought me to my knees, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the entire world. And I'm sure some of you right now can think of a difficulty in your life where you had a divine meeting with the Lord, where he spoke to you in an incredible way. He spoke to you, he got your attention in a way that he might not have been able to if everything was going great. But because you were going through difficulties, because you were going through trials, he was able to get your attention and meet with you in a very special way. So first we see that God wants to reveal himself to us in a unique and special way. I encourage you right now, whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you go through, tonight, when you get in your bed, when you read your Bible, when you say a prayer to the Lord, don't pray and ask God to take it away. Instead, pray this. Ask that God would reveal himself to you through that trial and teach you something new from it. Because usually, it's when we do that, that God says, yes, finally you get it. Finally you understand why you're going through this. And then God reveals himself to us. And second, in the valleys of life, we learn lessons of compassion that can't be learned anywhere else. Second Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Really quick, who in here has ever gone through an intense trial and difficulty, and someone else who has gone through something similar was able to comfort you through that situation? Pretty much all of us. Pretty much all of us have been comforted by someone around us who has gone through the same thing that we've gone through. Now, I want to, once again, when you're going through a difficulty, when you're going through a trial, look for those areas that God can use you to comfort others. Look at those trials, those temptations, as a way of the Lord to use you as a tool in someone else's life, just as the Lord has used others as a tool in your life. See, God wants to take the comfort that he so desires to give you and have you give that to others. You know, look at Job's life once again. He by far had it the worst of anyone in the entire Bible. He had the worst stuff happen to him. And he asked God to take it away. He asked God to take those temptations, those trials away. What if God would have? What if God would have taken everything away? Well, then we might not have the book of Job. We might not have some of the most comforting verses that we can turn to in times of trial, in times of temptation. 
Look at Paul's life. What if God would have taken his thorn in the flesh away? Well, we might not have some of these incredibly comforting verses that speak to us in our times of trial, in our times of temptation. So now look at your life. If God were to take that trial and that temptation away right now, think about the people that you might lose the chance to minister to. Think about the people down the road in your life that might be waiting for that exact piece of comfort that only you can give, that only you can minister to into their lives. And finally, remember this. The valleys don't last forever. That's what I love about this psalm. Continue with me. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does the psalm end and say, I will dwell in the valley of the shadow of death forever? No. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the valley is only a time. The valley is only a certain period of time. And at the end of the valley is the house of our Father. And in our Father's house, there are many, many comforts. Hold on to that. Keep that by your side. That when you're going through those valleys, those temptations, that you understand, one, that God is with you. And he's going to reveal himself to you in a special way. Two, that he will use you to comfort others. And three, that dad's house is just around the corner. Dad's house is just around the corner. And in that house, there are comforts. There is joy everlasting. First Peter 1.6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, it's there so that your faith may not be weakened, but may be strengthened. And notice David didn't say, yea, though I crawl through the valley of the shadow of death. Or yea, though I, though, though I give up in the valley of the shadow of death. No, what does he say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not that I curl up and die in the valley, but that I walk, that I continue, that I keep moving. You know, when I was in Africa, I had a chance to go bungee jumping. Actually, Nick and I had a chance to go bungee jumping. And when you bungee jump, they stress to you very much that you have to commit. You've got to go for it. You've got to jump. And you're up there and you're looking down and the last thing that you want to do is jump. You know, you want to like curl up in a ball and die. You're scared, your heart's pumping, your adrenaline's going and they tell you, you can't just like kind of go halfway because you could kind of fall off and hit your head on stuff and you know, the cord could wrap around your feet and a whole bunch of bad things could happen if you let the fear conquer you. You have to commit. You have, they say, look at a spot on the hill in front of you and jump towards that spot with all the power, all the might that you can possibly find. And if you do, everything will be okay. In the valleys of life, it's the same way. If we get scared, if we get worried, if we quench up with fear and fall down in a ball, it's only going to get worse. But if we look towards the cross, if we look towards the spot at the end of the hill and move forward with determination, with passion, and with joy, 
then we can get through it better than we could have ever imagined. As I said, he is preparing you for a choice work, showing his strength in your weakness and making you more compassionate, more like Jesus. And finally, remember this. You will come through your valleys stronger and deeper. But, but, only if you can say that the Lord is your shepherd. Only if you can say the Lord is your shepherd. Only if you can say, thou art with me. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, the story is depressing. The valleys of life are only the beginning. The pain that we experience here on earth is only the beginning. It doesn't get better. It doesn't get to a bright and shining end. See, we can only have these promises. We can only have the joy that Christ can give us if we have a relationship with Christ. You know, so many people today put their hope in weird things, in strange things. And there's no hope except in the name of Jesus Christ. Not putting our hope in some trite hallmark slogan. Not for every cloud there's a silver lining. You know, I hear people say this, that when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. That when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. All's well that ends well. I believe that for every drop of rain, a flower grows. I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. I believe that every time a newborn baby cries or I see a leaf or touch the sky, I believe, I believe, I believe, make me vomit. Oh my goodness. There's no hope in that. There's no joy in that. Listen, I believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I believe that he is with me. And I believe that no matter what any single person here goes through, God can bring you through it. And not only in one piece, but having a better relationship with him. Do you? Do you believe that? Do you have that relationship with Christ? Because if you don't, stop looking for the silver lining on the clouds. Stop looking for the lemonade with the lemons. Look for Jesus Christ because he will give you that joy. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.